This is Katie, and welcome to Episode 7 of Veteran Entrepreneur Talks. Each week, we bring you the story of an entrepreneur who successfully made the transition from military service to building a business. This podcast is powered by the Veteran-Owned Collective, a private community for veteran entrepreneurs. Head over to VeteranOwnedCollective.com for more info. In this episode, we talk with Navy veteran Brian Olivier. He's the founder of Glue Confidence, a company that provides all-natural, concentrated, convenient glucose right to your door so that people with diabetes can live a life without limits. Glue Confidence is striving to be the dollar shave club of all-natural performance glucose supplements for people with diabetes. We talk about the perils of launching a physical product with no manufacturing experience, the importance of aligning your personal mission and values with your business goals, and how to silence that voice in your mind that sows doubt and fear and holds you back from moving your business forward. For show notes, go to veteranocollective.com backslash podcast. Let's get started. Joining me today from Louisville, Kentucky, is our guest, Brian Olivier. Brian, welcome to Veteran Entrepreneur Talks. Yeah, hey, thanks, Katie, for having me. Uh, So I'm really excited for our conversation today, and I'd love to kick things off by hearing a little bit about your military service. Yeah, so I um, I graduated from the Naval Academy a long time ago, back in 2002, and uh, service-selected aviation. So went right into aviation pipeline uh, down in Pensacola and then Corpus Christi, then back up in Pensacola and ended up going the, uh, the helicopter pipeline. So went through and flew Hilo. So flew the SH-60 Bravo uh, Seahawk. Uh, I was stationed in uh, Jacksonville, Florida. I was actually out of Mayport, Florida uh, with 60 Bravo group, the, uh, the proud warriors. Okay. And um, how did you move from the military to business like what was the transition point for you how many years did you do in the military yeah so i served for just uh, over four years which was shorter than what i was uh, planning on actually uh, while i was in in final workups to go for deployment to the persian gulf um with my detachment i actually started losing weight and feeling sick and uh went to the flight surgeon i actually found out i developed uh, type 1 diabetes which was a huge shock uh for me for sure but uh, that was basically a medical uh, discharge. You can't fly in the military uh, with type 1 diabetes, which, which makes sense. So I kind of had a surprise, kind of uh, unplanned uh, exit from the military. So after diagnosis, I uh, went through the process of getting my, the disease under control. Uh, my, my blood sugar was all over the place. So it um, took several months to get it back down and under control. And then um, I went through a medical uh, discharge process uh, from the Navy. It must have been really tough. I mean, uh, uh, you had this plan, this career path, and you'd already done um, you know, all the training, getting ready to go, and then all of a sudden, complete change of plans. Yeah, it was tough. It was you know, obviously unexpected. You train a lot for it. You want to go out and you want to serve and do the mission you train for. And after spending a couple of years kind of just focused on that, it was a real sudden kind of unexpected thing. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, I had perspective too. I had friends that were already overseas and um that were doing some some wild things and so just to keep things in perspective it was like you know it's a chronic disease but something that you manage and and find something else that would work right and life throws you curveballs sometimes and as we're going to talk about here sometimes those curveballs lead in directions that end up being interesting and exciting so okay so you leave the military and what year was it that you were discharged i was i got out in uh it was late 2006 okay uh, and then what happened after that? What was your first uh, career move after that? Yeah, so honestly, I had to sink into like what my new career was. It was kind of a sudden change. So I was kind of floundering for a little bit. 
But I was in Jacksonville, Florida at the time when uh, the real estate market was booming. And so I got on with a large um, luxury home builder as like a program management type of role in construction. So I knew nothing about construction or program management, but um, it was just trial by fire, just kind of jump in and learn and uh, learn how to, we, we built a single family home community, learn about uh, the contracting, the process of building homes and, and everything else. and got to meet with the families, you know, as they're moving in and everything. So it was a, it was a good experience. I did it for about a year. And then the market crashed in Jacksonville about 2008 when the financial crisis, the real estate crisis, everything kind of came down. Um, so kind of reevaluating. Um, I got married just before then. My wife was from Cincinnati. Uh, I'm from Rhode Island. And as we looked at the jo- job markets in both states, we said, you know what? Cincinnati job market looks a little bit better. We're going to move back up there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I got a job in Cincinnati. We, we moved from Florida up to uh, northern Kentucky after that. Okay. So then how, um, tell us a little bit about your, your business now and also how, how you got started. Yeah. So, uh, this really just came out of, uh, just my own thoughts and kind of needs that I kind of felt for myself. I, I had been working out regularly before I played sports all growing up. I was very active and with the diagnosis of diabetes, you know, you have to do a lot, take insulin, you have to watch what you're eating, um, exercise and everything else. And what I found was that exercise really helped me take better control of my blood sugar. I had more stable blood sugar. I didn't have as many highs. Um, and it was just a lot better when I was regularly doing cardiovascular activities. So that was just a part of my, my day to day that I try to do to manage, help me manage the disease. Um, but one thing I noticed was that when I'm running or riding a bike and I was going out for longer runs is that um, I would get low blood sugars, which is pretty frequent for insulin taking diabetics. Mm-hmm. Uh, you always are struggling with that fine line of going high or going too low. And so I was going low on a lot of these runs. And I had a couple couple times that were a little bit scary or getting low without any um, you know sugar or glucose on me to drink or eat. And so I started carrying a backpack. So I'd run this big backpack with juices and um, you know gummy bears and all sorts of stuff. If I got low, I would take that. I remember thinking, you know, this just doesn't make sense. I'm trying. I have a chronic disease. I'm trying to live as healthy as I can. I'm trying to work out and exercise. And then every time I'm doing that, I'm eating junk uh, to get through a workout or whatever. So. Um, that's where the idea of uh, this product came. We call it uh, Glue Confidence, and it's uh, an all-natural two-ounce uh, concentrated glucose drink, about 15 grams of glucose. And uh, that was it. It was just for my own my own needs. And then uh, as I kind of developed it and worked on it, I wondered if there were other diabetics out there that were on insulin that were having the same kind of challenges and problems that I was having. And I did a couple surveys, and there were other people that responded you know, positively to that. And that's kind of where this thing got going. So what uh, what year did you start thinking that this could actually be a business? <laughs> so that's an interesting thing. So this is actually in my head for probably about eight years. Wow. And uh, it's kind of embarrassing to say that, but it's also, it goes, speaks to the journey of, of I think, a lot of entrepreneurs. And for me, I, I don't have any background entrepreneurship. You know, my parents, my dad was an engineer. My mom was a, a school teacher and it just it didn't really run in my family. So it was never something I really thought about. But I had all these ideas and it took me several years, obviously about eight years is running the back of my mind where it was finally got to the point where I was like, I got to go give this a, a real try uh, or else I'm going to go crazy and, and regret this, you know, in, in 30 years from now. So I got to go do this. So, yeah, it was a lot of mental kind of battles and overcoming some fears and doubts and everything else to actually commit the time and resources to, to take the first step. So can you talk to me a little bit more about the the fears and the roadblocks you've experienced. I hear this from other people that I talk to, like, tell, tell me more about that. 
Yeah, I think, you know, I think we all have like self-doubts. So we're all kind of walking around with those. No matter what you've accomplished, you always have this little voice maybe of doubt inside. And um, when you do an entrepreneurial venture, you know, a lot of your, your family members and friends and people, you know, will know about it, where you're going, what you're doing and pursuing. And I think there's sometimes a fear of maybe failure or sense of pride where you don't want it to be public that you're out there doing this committing all the time. And what if it doesn't work out? How does that reflect on you? And I think there's just a personal journey you have to go through of, of um, if you care more about what, you know, the outside may think or what the perception and perspective would be uh, versus what you want to kind of go after and pursue. And for me, that was probably a balance or an inner battle that I had for a while. And I was making a lot of excuses too of why I, I can't do it or don't have the time to do it and, and, and everything else. Not a good time. You know, I have, I'm married with three kids and I'm in, you know, in my, my 30s. This is too late. I should have done this when I got out of college. But there were yeah. so many like reasons why not to do it. Right. You can hear, you can just tell yourself a bunch of those stories and it's easy to just sit back and be like, okay, I, I just can't do this. And I did that to myself for about, about eight years. I actually finally got in connection and, and it was funny, you know, I was, this was all internal. So I was like in my basement planning these things out and, and, and putting together, you know, the project and idea, but it was all, I didn't share it with many people. I didn't share my idea with many people. It was all just in my basement. And when I started talking with other people, I actually got involved with a veteran, um, like a veteran group, a, a business mastermind group, which then led me to um, actually it was a veteran um, like accelerator group. And just talking it with other veterans and just getting a, getting a discussion out there, getting the, the, the word out there really gave me the confidence to kind of go forward and do it. And, and that was uh, a good thing. So you, surround, you start surrounding yourself with people that are helping you talk through this and get some confidence. What was the first step you took when you said to yourself, okay, I'm going to do this? Like, how did, how did you move from idea to execution once you said, okay, screw those fears and doubts that are in my mind, I'm going to do this? Leading up to it, I had already done all the pre-work. Like, a, for my product, it's a, it's a product. I'm not like a digital online service. Like, it's a physical product, which, by the way, is really different than, than just an online digital thing. We actually have to yeah. make something, have quality control and everything else. So mine's a consumable and it's a product. But I had over a year or two before I'd done all the work of, of sourcing suppliers, co-packers, ingredients, labels, all of the things that need to be done for final products. So I actually had a lot of stuff ready to go. Um, I, I grew up, uh, I'm, I'm kind of cheap as well, to be honest. So the other thing too, is the financial that. <laughs> aspect of putting it into this. I'm very, I'm, I'm financially conservative. I wouldn't say I'm risk averse, but just financially, it scared me financially to put money into something that, you know, that wasn't, you know, a safe return. And so I think for me, it was a personal journey of getting over that. But the real commitment point was when I, I put my, my dollars, my resources into this and said, all right, there's no going back. Like I'm going to sink some money into this. And, you know, I've done the research the best I can. Nice. And I feel confident this is the direction to go. I don't know what the outcome is going to be, but boom, put the money into it. Once my money was on the table, uh, it became real. And when you say you put the money on the table, is that like you bought inventory, place of PO? What was what was the investment? Yeah, it was, uh, well, the first thing was get a website up and going. So it was like committing yeah. to a website with a, a launching soon. You know, we got that out in the public space. Mm-hmm. And then it was purchasing the ingredients, meeting with the co-packers, uh, several meetings with the co-packers, uh, getting, you know, everything finalized and ordered and ready to go. So once I, I, I wrote the checks for the inventory, got the website up and going, I mean, it was off to the races. We're going to we're going to do this no matter what. Mm. And, and you launched, uh, was that late last year? Is that right? 
We launched in October of last year. Yeah. October of last year. Okay. So leading up to that, can you talk a little bit about how you prepared for that? So it sounds like you'd already done the research and you had conviction on this product. This product, you have a website. What were you doing, you know, in the six months or so leading up to the launch? Yeah. So leading up to the launch, this is kind of another little bit of a backstory here. But before the launch, uh, I attempted a a crowdfunding uh, project. So I, I attempt to raise funding. So I'm sure you've heard of um, of Indiegogo or Kickstarter. Those are popular yeah. crowdfunding projects. So I probably committed about five and a half, six months of time into developing and growing an email list and making videos and content for my Kickstarter campaign. My goal was to raise $30,000 to uh, pre-sales to go forward and launch the product. Uh, and so I had you know high hopes. I put in all the work. I talked to a ton of people. I did everything right, you know, as far as investing. And, and I remember when I hit that button to launch, I was like, here it comes, 30000 like ready to go. And I hit launch and uh, we raised about 2500 uh, over the course of about six weeks. So not the most successful, a lot of learning in that process, but um, it was definitely a downer. And to be honest, after the, the failed Kickstarter launch, I kind of went into hiding for a couple months and kind of had to lick my wounds a little bit and figure out, okay. Is this something I really want to go do? My Kickstarter bombed, you know, is it, do I still want to pursue and go do this? I just spent a lot of effort and time to yeah. get something going and it didn't work the way I wanted. So that was a little bit of uh, an obstacle. So looking back on that Kickstarter campaign, like what, what do you think caused it to not be the success that you expected it to be? I think the challenge, you got to go into that Kickstarter and, or Indiegogo, any type of crowdfunding knowing that it's a huge commitment. It is not something you can do in a couple hours. It is like a couple team members going at it for a long time, making sure there's a lot to it, and a lot of layers and a lot of work you need to do the right way to make it successful. I think a lot of people go on Kickstarter thinking it's just going to be throwing on a product, hit enter, and, and away it goes. And so it was very, and I did a lot of that work. I actually did a lot of the research beforehand, but um, looking back, uh, I was also a one-man show and I have a, a busy a daytime job. And for me, with with, with that capacity was a challenge. I told myself it wasn't. I was working nights and weekends on it. But as I look back and reflect, all the nights and weekends, me as a one person kind of going to it, just not enough capacity. So I'd make sure when you are committed to go do that, you have a full team and everyone's on board with the work and effort and commitment it's going to need to make it be successful. Yeah, I've, I've, I've definitely heard that this is um, the full-time project for a few months to get it successful in the social media component of it, like promoting it and just getting um, eyes on. I think the first uh, few days is very critical, right? Like in the first, um, Oh yeah. The, few first days few days, the pre-launch is key, getting a ton of contacts even before you launch day one, which, which honestly that was, that's helped me in the launch right now. So I, I got over 5,000 emails prior to that launch um, of people with diabetes. And so that helped us kind of shape out what the market potential would be uh, and go from there. So it wasn't all a loss. I was able to pick up some of the scraps. I'm using some of the video content that I made on my site now, yeah. um, some of the labeling and all those things. So even though the Kickstarter itself wasn't successful, the preparation for Kickstarter, actually I use a ton of those resources into just rolled them into the actual product launch now. Okay, so not a total loss. Um, so you mentioned uh, that you, when you launched, you had around 5,000 email addresses. How did you get those emails? Yeah, we did a lot of, I worked with a guy and we did a lot of Facebook Messenger marketing, pretty inexpensive, but we would just um, put in a couple words, you know, you have diabetes, would you be interested in this? 
you know, click here if you want more info when we launch. It's a real simple thing, a pop-up. And we were able to dive deep because this is such a niche product. We're really just going for insulin-taking diabetics, so pretty much all type 1s in the U.S., and then uh, about 15% of your type 2s. It's about five, six million uh, person market in the U.S. Okay. So it's very niche, insulin-taking diabetic. We okay. able to go in those groups at a pretty low cost and um, and ask a couple questions and get them to give us the okay. email. Got it. All right. So tell us a little bit about um, the week before you launched. What was that like? Well, it, it wasn't like a sudden. It wasn't like a Kickstarter where you just hit a button and you just sit back and hope. So like the week before launch, I've been doing a lot of work months up to that. So I yeah. been to the co-packer half a dozen times walk the lines make sure you know all the ingredients things were there make sure we're on track um we had a little bit of marketing going on we had a couple pre-sales but really not that much um and 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 honestly with a with a with a concept that you're, you're drinking a consumable like this you know you can't really tell people about it and talk about it and have them be interested they really have to taste it and try it and right. see it for it to work you can't just tell a story and then have people purchase so i knew to validate the idea, like the market validation is so key early in the process. To validate the idea, I had to commit to making a sample product to get it out there, to get out to the masses. And so that was really what this came to. So, um, you know, I didn't know if people would buy it, first of all. We didn't know what the right price to set was. So there's pricing. Is there a customer for this? And then finally, um, the way the business model is, is we expect a certain amount of people to reorder. You know, our goal is to be a partner for life with our with our customers. We want to create value and community, and really add value to um, the people with diabetes. So uh, we have a lot of unknowns that we have to figure out as we go. And so that's been the journey right now is that customer discovery. And I definitely want to come back to the community uh, aspects. I know you're you're doing a lot of work on that side, um, but I did want to ask. You know, as you're set up right now. So now that you've launched, you're selling on your website. Are you selling through other, uh, are, are you doing wholesale? Are you distributing through other channels? Yeah. So the business model right now uh, in this first phase is all B2C and it's all online. That's one of the advantages that we believe we bring is uh, the convenience of online ordering and, and auto shipping every month. I tell people, think about us as the, the dollar shave club for glucose supplements. And that's what we strive okay. to be, to be a a convenient, easier, uh, just regular routine of, of shipments and one less thing that our customers have to think about. They have to think about so many things with insulin and test strips and supplies and just, it's just a whole myriad of, of things they have to think about all the time. We want to re- reduce that burden uh, just a little bit. So um, right now it's B2C, but we are exploring some B2B options. We're not going through Amazon and that's intentional, uh, but it's just going to be all through our online uh, store for now. And as we learn more about the customers and we get feedback, we'll keep uh, kind of pivoting as we go. And uh, can you tell us why you chose not to sell on Amazon? I have some thoughts on that, but. <laughs> yeah, we, I mean, in some places, I think Amazon is good for us. We're in this initial launch phase where learning and data are so important. And Amazon restricts a lot of the data that you're able to see and get when you have an online company. If it's purely transactional and you already have a big customer base, you know, Amazon may make sense for some, but um, they're really not. Our, our view is that they're not good for, for startups because I need that data, that feedback and that regular dialogue as we're getting going. And Amazon uh, won't provide that for us. So um, we're going with, with a, a B2B or B2C model right now, focused in on, on marketing, on Instagram, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, mm-hmm. uh, and then creating content like I shared with you earlier. Uh, podcast, just really helpful podcast about inspiring stories 
of people living with diabetes and just the great things they're doing in life. They're, they're just living life to the fullest, sharing those stories with others. And that's actually been starting to really gain traction in the community and um, help us build a brand that's credible and that's kind of based on adding value to the community that we're trying to serve. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit more about the community building. So you mentioned the podcast. What's the name of the podcast? Yeah, so the, it's the Glue Confidence Podcast. It's actually on our website, uh, glueconfidence.com. You can just go on there and, and check it out. We're on uh, Spotify and iTunes mm-hmm. and uh, about to get up and going on Stitcher. But uh, basically, we just find people in the, that have been inspiring stories of diabetes. We've got several interviews. We have um, college football players that play, that play right now with um, you know, D1 football players that that uh, have type one diabetes. We have, we just interviewed uh, Lauren Cox, who's the Baylor forward, uh, NCAA champion basketball player. Um, she was type one, led, led the Lady Bears last year to the national championship. Um, wow. We just got uh, Adam Schefter from ESPN. His wife, Sherry, has type one. So we got perspective of a spouse who lives mm-hmm. with someone with type one diabetes. Uh, we're just getting a lot of great stories. I actually had an, an awesome interview just yesterday with a gentleman named John Roth. And um, he was a career pilot, a commercial pilot, and was later diagnosed at 35. So his career ended. He dedicated everything to flying commercial aircraft. Career ended. You can't fly the Type 1 FAA regulations. Him and a group of other pilots who could develop Type 1 um, went to Congress and wrote letters and got things going. And the FAA actually just overturned um, that finding uh, just three months ago. And so uh, mm-hmm. he is one of the 10, first 10 pilots that has the insulin-dependent diabetes that is going to be allowed to fly commercial aircraft in the U.S. And there's just a huge pause. So we're getting great, inspiring stories, and we just want to share those with, uh, with our, our community. That's so interesting. I, I think, um, you know, when you have a niche audience like this that's so passionate about this topic, it's something they live with every day. I mean, people are hungry for those kinds of stories, I think. So, um, and it, it also just attracts a lot of engagement. So it's a win, win, win for everything. So, so that, that um, law that was overturned, could that potentially trickle down and affect people who are in the military that fly at some point? Yeah, a hundred percent. So if, if you were, you know, I got out, you know, years ago or a decade ago, but if you were in the military and you had to get medically discharged due, due to type one diabetes, if you're able to show your control, your blood glucose control and go do it. The FAA now has a pathway in which you can go and pursue a, a commercial career as an airline pilot. And that was never allowed in the United States. And that's wow. really just three months out. And like I said, John Roth is one of a group of about 10. that will be the first ever to be approved in the U.S. Um, it's actually it's actually already approved in other countries. So we have pilots from Europe and, you know, all over that actually have type one that are controlled. They're flying in the U.S. airspace. But uh, an American pilot was just never allowed to do that due to FAA. So where technology is gone right now that uh, with better control, it's um, it got overturned, which is a, his, a big historic moment. So young kids right now, if they're six, seven, eight years old and want to fly, you know, commercially and they have type one, they take control of themselves and, and manage it. They can now go do that, which is a huge, a huge deal. That's so interesting. Well, we'll see what happens. Um, okay. So, so you are, you are up and running right now. You're building this community. Um, what are a couple of things that have come up as you've been building this business that are unexpected challenges that you've had to navigate things that you weren't expecting at all? I'm sure there's several, but maybe pick a few. Yeah, there are. There's so much like, like I will say this, like before you go to that, like I've done some self-reflection on myself the last couple of years and I am a lifelong learner. And that's something I've just kind of come, you know, I, I'm realizing like, I love to learn. I love to read. I love to just 
constantly be learning new things. I get restless. If I do something for more than a couple of years, I get restless and want to move on. And so I think that's a key quality for someone who wants to get into this because you're just learning and doing so many things at the same time. You're doing marketing, sales and operations and IP and emails and production and you know HR. You're, you're doing a little bit of everything. And if you don't like that variety of craziness, like it's not going to work out for you. Um, the other thing too, is just, just willing to like do the work. Like, like some of the stuff is way below what you say your pay grade would be, but there's no one else to do it. So you got to go do it. Right. A big surprise I had was my first production run. Like I said, I'm nervous. I'm in the co-packer. I'm in this big space. They got the line set up, you know, they turn on the machinery. They've got the batch brewing these huge, big tanks and my bottles lined up. I'm like, I'm almost getting emotional. Cause I'm just like, all the works come together. And my products <laughs> about to come off the line. And as it's going down the line, all, you know, all of the labels are just flying off the line, falling on the ground. I got bottles spilling over. I just see like my own dollars just like going down the drain as this thing's going. And they had all sorts of line issues. About a third of my first production run had to go to wait. And so uh, that was a hard learning for me. And just, you know, not knowing what I didn't know, but just making sure the co-packers and the production folks that you work with have sound quality processes. And just because they're an official co-packer and have a big line and a lot of tanks and everything else, it may not be the best quality to work with. And so um, doing the research, and that's just a hard knocks for me to kind of learn as I go through. So now I'm doing the work to look into other potential co-packers and do that type of work. Just you're going to hit those obstacles. We did, we did preserve about two thirds of the first production run. So that was good. And that's what I have in my basement right now. But just all that stuff's going to come up and you don't know until you go through and do it. So just be open-minded about that. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is just, uh, you know, going back to capacity is there is so much low hanging fruit right now that I have on the business. Like there are things that can be done that I know will add value and I know will drive revenue, but I just don't have the time to do them. And so trying to prioritize your, your what is going to add value, get you through to the next week, I think is a key skill set. I'm not hundred percent there yet, but just trying to figure that out. Um, and trying to grow my team without the resources. And I've started to find different ways to do that, um, to partner with different groups or, or different, you know, different groups. So one of the things I'm doing right now in University of Louisville, they have an MBA program. Um, and I just met with a group on Wednesday. I have five MBA students that part of their course uh, to complete their degree, they sign up, they want to help a startup. They're going to be doing an entrepreneurship course. So yeah. I have five MBA students that I met this week that are going to be with me for the next eight weeks. And so we went over all the work I've done so far the things that need to be done. And this is going to be five extra, you know, resources that I'll have focused on this business. I told them we'll probably make more progress in the next eight weeks than I have in the last six months. And, you know, so there's ways, I think just being creative and finding resources and capacity, you don't always have to pay somebody to do that. Um, you know, you can find other ways to do it. And I've, I've been fortunate, I think because the mission, what we do is very clear and, and it's a compelling purpose and mission. I think that helps when you do a startup, because when you tell that story to others, it's, if it is a true mission focused company that can hit a, you know, that hits an emotion with people, they will actually volunteer their time to help you. And I've found that in this business that I have right now, volunteers that are just want to see this be successful and are are helping to make it happen. That's actually uh, a really powerful point. And um, I want to underscore the resources that schools can provide. I, so I went to Columbia and I got my MBA and, and my classes, we did, we actually worked on a couple of companies and did a project just like you're describing and it was part of our coursework. So if there's people out there who are thinking, you know, I don't have the resources, the time or the know-how, um, look at the school that's close to you. It could be undergrad, it could be MBA. 
I'd start with the MBA programs. And, and, and uh, like Brian just said, there's, there's people that are willing to let you use their brains for free. So I think that's a great, great resource. Um, you also mentioned a mastermind group. What was the name of the mastermind group that you were part of? Yeah, I went with the Service Academy Business Mastermind Group, SABM, which was fantastic. And, and are you still that? working with them? I am. I'm still uh, kind of the founder. Uh, Scott uh, Mackis is the founder, and he's he's awesome. So I, I still talk with him quite a bit. Uh, and that led me to another group, actually. Uh, it's called the Lions Pride. Uh, and that was a group by a, a veteran, a West Point graduate, who's out, um, out yeah. west. Again? Bill, right? Yeah, Bill. Yeah, there we go. Small world. Yeah, it is. That it is. And in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And honestly, that meeting, I went out there face-to-face meeting, committed the time, three days, with about 12 other uh, entrepreneurs that were uh, you know, military veterans that were thinking about entrepreneurship, but just being just engrossed in that group and seeing all these other guys that were just like me that were taking the move. Not necessarily guarantee their success, but they were all committed to taking that step and make it go. Like I came back from that trip and I was like, that was when I was like, yep, put the money down. We're going to go do this and make it happen. And so I think that like it's, it's everything's a team sport, you know, across the board. Just seeing that group and that team make it just motivated me to take that step. And that's where, you know, here we are now moving it forward. It's been pretty cool. Others have mentioned the importance of, of coaches and, and masterminds and like, you know, peer networks that can help push you along. So this is just another example of that, helping people be successful. So if there's folks out there who aren't sure, uh, it's definitely worth looking into. These programs are not free. They shouldn't be free, in my opinion, because I think that they, if you put some skin in the game, you're going you're gonna to value it differently. You're going to do the work. So just, just be aware that you know, the programs that Brian's talking about in a lot of these mastermind groups are not free, but that's for a reason, in my opinion. And, and I'll link to some of those in the show notes. Um, any other resources you want to share, like book podcasts or groups that were helpful to you as you were getting this off the ground? Yeah, I think, you know, we talked touched a little bit earlier, but I don't, I'm not, I don't, I know nothing about mark like digital marketing. Like I don't like Facebook and, and even Instagram, but I've had to get into those things because that's necessary for the business that I'm doing. And so my, my big thing would be if, if you know, that's not a place that you're good at or even want to spend the time to learn about. Like go get outside help to help you bring in and do that. And I've been probably too reluctant to do that. And it's taken me longer. But now as I, I work with others who are experts in that space, I see what they're doing. Like I should have let that go a while ago and just got on board with, with getting help and paying for the help of people who can get you there. Because um, it's just going to slow you down so much. If you, if you, because what happens is you just avoid doing it. The necessary right. thing is like, oh, it's there, but I don't, I hate it. So I don't want to do it. And I yeah. do that for a while. And so now I'm like, okay, I hate it, but I know it's necessary. So I need some outside help. Come do that. And, I, and I've been getting a lot better at that in the last probably three months. And I'm, I'm really seeing the growth and return on those type of investments. So I think that's important. I, I struggle with that as well. And uh, I'm, I'm also getting better at it. You need to let things go and then recognize there's a startup cost to like outsourcing, right? When you delegate something for the first time. You probably have a couple of false starts. You got to find the right person. You got to teach them how to do it. But in the long run, it's going to pay off. And if someone's an expert, let them let them do it because you're never going to do it better better than they can. And like Brian said, you're just going to keep uh, keep putting it off. Well, listen, this has been a great conversation. I'm I'm so I'm so happy that we got the time. Um, before we before we close, I wanted to ask if you had a parting piece of advice for other vets who are building businesses or are considering entrepreneurship as a career path. Yeah, I've thought about this a bit, and I think um, 
this is what I, I guess I'd say to it is, you know, as you get started in whatever that entrepreneurial, you know, push is going to be, uh, do some self-reflection on, you know, what your, what your values are, what your, your purpose, what your mission is, and, and make sure it aligns to that because it's going to be difficult and you're going to spend a lot of time on whatever this is. And I'm very competitive. I don't like to lose. I've been at my whole life. I played sports. I'm very, very competitive. I hate losing. And well, the way I'm looking at this, what I'm doing right now is I'm doing something that means a lot to me personally, that I believe is going to help other people's lives. I believe it's going to help other people with diabetes, you know, help them live a life without limits. And I believe in the mission and purpose of what I'm doing. So if I commit hours and hours to this every week, and for some reason this is not successful in two years, three years, I can still look back and I still feel like I won because I was pursuing something that I believed in, you know, beyond the money and financials. Like I, I love what I'm doing right now. And so I think that's a win-win across the board. So whether it is financially successful and takes off, you're going to look back at the time invested. I think the worst thing you can do is pursue something for the dollar only and then, you know, not make it and look back and be like, you weren't really compelled by what you were trying to pursue. And it was a waste of your time. And so, um, you know, pursuing that, that mission and that purpose. The other thing it does is it brings, like I said earlier, it, it keeps your energy going when things are going poorly and it, it keeps you pursuing. If I didn't believe in what I'm doing, I probably would have given up after the failed Kickstarter campaign. I, I wasted a lot of money, not waste, but I burned a lot of money in my own time on that. But the reason I picked things up a month or two later is because it was like a burning inside to make this thing go. And so, you know, that will keep you going through the obstacles and it'll also help you attract talent whether it's free talent or people you may have to pay, the story of what you're doing and the belief in what you're doing that comes across to others. And um, that's going to help you grow and attract talent and, and keep the, the mission going forward. That's a great, great piece of advice. And that's a good note for us to end on. Um, can you tell folks how to reach you if they want to get in touch? Yeah, you can go on our website. It's uh, glueconfidence.com. It's G-L-U and then confidence.com. You can just, uh, there's an email in there if you want to contact and reach out. Uh, we're also on Instagram. You can go on Glue Confidence. We're on Facebook and uh, on LinkedIn. And if you have a friend or family member who's struggling with diabetes uh, and they take insulin and they have low blood sugars and they're really struggling with that, you can uh, sign on and get a, a shipment from us and, uh, and try out and give us your feedback. Awesome. Thank you so much, Brian. It's been a great chat. Yeah, thanks, Katie. Thanks for having me. That's our show for today. For the show notes and a list of resources mentioned in this podcast, head over to veteranownedcollective.com backslash podcast. Tune in next week for our conversation with Marine Corps veteran Lisa Bodenberg, who's the founder of Liberty Fitness. And if you're a veteran business owner or a supporter of veteran business owners, make sure to check us out at veteranownedcollective.com.